Welcome to Genetically Speaking, ASHD's new podcast. This episode is part of a series focused on career insights from your fellow members. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the ASHD podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Gunter, and today I'm joined by Dr. Katrina Goddard. Thank you very much for joining us today. So can you tell us a little bit about your what you're doing right now and where you're located? And Yeah, I'm a genetic epidemiologist, and I'm at Kaiser Permanente in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I am really interested in taking the discoveries that are coming out of our field and trying to move them into clinical practice. And we bonded a little because you spent some time in Cleveland. I spent some time in Cleveland. Yes. We talked about thunder snow. It's all good. <laughs> Hopefully Portland has less on the thunder snow. <laughs> less thunder snow. <laughs> so um, it, uh, we have a lot of uh, trainees who are very interested in industry. I'm making quotation marks. Mm-hmm. So that's where you work, right? So tell us a little bit about, do you consider that industry? How did you get into that? How can everyone get into that? We get a yeah. lot of questions about that. Yeah, so um, actually, I would say that the Kaiser Research Center is very much more on an academic model, and so our research is not funded by Kaiser. Um, I write grant proposals just like everyone else um, to federal agencies, um, foundations. Um, Some of our researchers do work with industry sponsors, but... I think the main difference for me about working for a nonprofit uh, research organization is that we focus solely on research. We're not engaged with teaching. Um, I'm not a clinician, so I get to spend 100% of my time doing research, which is what I love. Um, As you mentioned, before I went to Kaiser, I was at Case Western um, Reserve University on faculty, and so I did get to experience a little bit of that Um, feeling like my time was spread very thin across all of the expectations of faculty in the academic department. So um, I really enjoy being in a place where I can really focus on what I love. That being said, I do also have an affiliate academic appointment with Oregon Health Sciences University. So I do get to interact with students um, and do a few lectures a year up for grand rounds and still kind of retain that connection to the university. And you still get to enjoy applying for grants. Is what you're saying. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> we all do. We all yes. love that part. So, so you, I know you're a genetic epidemiologist. Yes. So, right. So how did you decide to, what appealed to you about that career? Yeah, so it was um, actually not planned exactly (laughs) to go into that field and my undergraduate degree is in molecular biology and my PhD is in biostatistics from the University of Washington and when I started my PhD program um, I got to know my mentor Ellen Weissman and um, she was working in this really fascinating field of human genetics um, at a time where Um, things were really starting to pick up for the field, like the CF gene had just been identified, Huntington's disease gene had just been identified. The field was really on the verge of taking off, and um, I kind of feel like I got in at the ground level in graduate school. That's so great. Yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) So then it sounds like your work there with statistics led you towards thinking about epidemiology specifically. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you... you, um, were you attracted by the public health aspects of that? or? Yeah, yeah I've really always enjoyed um, how doing work that impacts people. And um, 
So when I was on faculty at Case, Western and I also went through a little bit of a career transition. There I was um, initially doing a lot of work doing data analysis, um, GWAS studies, yeah, that well. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I actually started working with the ethics department there that had a project and um, they were really looking at consumer genetics, which was this emerging thing happening at the time. And that led me to a mid-career fellowship at the CDC working with Maureen Corey and um, really starting to think about public health genomics at that point more broadly um, than trying to make these new discoveries. So it was a lot of different things that yeah. led to that <laughs> career decision, but I think what has always motivated me um, is that our work really has impact on people. And I think that's so important because sometimes yeah. when you're in the lab, it's really hard to, to see that. To make that connection. Of that. Yes. Absolutely. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's nice to be able to see that. And you don't have to see patients, right, per that's se, right. to be able to do that. It's, that you, you feel like you're making recommendations, I would guess. That, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Our work leads to um, the evidence needed to make those recommendations, yes. And that's important. Yes. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so um, you mentioned uh, direct-to-consumer genetics. I know that yes. you've done some work in that. So um, how do you see that in the future since you're on the front lines kind of uh -huh. in, that, in that interesting front? How do you see that being integrated into healthcare in the future? Yeah, I think there's starting to be more of a blurring of the lines between the um, direct-to-consumer products and some of the clinical products with some of the same labs offering the tests in both venues. So it's hard and to know. It's hard to know. Um, and definitely the results then are actually relevant to clinical care sometimes. And I think the biggest challenge for the healthcare system is being able to figure out when is this relevant information and when is it not relevant information. And so trying to uh, really help our systems um, develop a plan for integrating the results that do make sense and helping patients understand when that doesn't make sense to bring it into their medical record. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the test that's being promoted on Twitter right now to tell you what kind of wine to drink, that probably doesn't make sense. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, so it is, uh, that's what I wanted to ask. It's, such a, it's becoming such a wild west out there. It, yes. It must be just always very interesting to be working in that area. <laughs> yes. 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 So, and do you, are you seeing a, how can we as geneticists, maybe those of us who aren't physicians, how can we best work with health practitioners to help them make those decisions? Yeah, I think um, talking to people and uh, really understanding their experience on the front line. Um, what is going on in primary care? What is going on in the medical genetics department? Um, since I moved to Kaiser, I've worked very closely with um, the clinical geneticists there. And uh, really, uh, they are a lot of my motivation for the research programs that um, we propose because we're trying to solve problems that really matter to the healthcare system. So you really need to have that relationship and need to understand what their concerns are in order to have relevant research programs. Absolutely, I think that's so important. So yeah, let's step back a little bit in your career. So you yes. talked about um, 
uh, being getting your PhD and, and getting your postdoc. Yeah. And uh, a theme that's come up in talking to a number of people for the podcast is talking about um, the importance of mentoring. Yeah. So can you talk about how that was important to you and what you think has worked best? Yeah, I want to talk about a really early example, which was um, in high school, actually, um, that when I was a high school student, I actually wanted to be a musician. I did not want to go into science, and I could not understand why I needed to take a science class to graduate from high school because it was completely irrelevant to what I wanted to do. And, um, but of course it was a requirement. So I decided to take biology, which was what I thought the easiest science. (laughs) And, um, I completely became fascinated with it. I just fell in love with it. Um, that teacher was amazing and really, um, changed my life and, um, There was also a program for high school students in the Portland, Oregon area called Saturday Academy. And uh, there was a researcher at Oregon Health Sciences University um, who opened up her lab to high school students. Um, She taught a class that was in the evenings called Genetic Engineering. And we went in and actually got to um, work with bacteria in her lab. And, you know, just seeing a female scientist Um, who had children, it was really eye-opening to me and amazing to know this is possible. You know, you can be a scientist, you can be a woman, you can have children, it's a possibility. It, it's, it is a sad statement, I think. <laughs> but I agree. I've done science night for my uh, first elementary and the middle school, and I get the same thing from kids and moms all the time who come up and say, I'm so glad you're here so our kids can see that. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah That's really important. So then uh, from there, it sounds like you then went into genetic epidemiology. So you mentioned wanting to be a musician. What else do you do outside of lab? If you have any time outside. Yeah. Um, what I like instrument to, was this? I played the flute and the like Lizzo and the piano. Yeah. Those are my instruments. I only play the piano still. Um, I don't really like to have an audience. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's okay. I play it with headphones on. But um, yeah, I also really like to do crafts. Um, and so. That's something I enjoy, scrapbooking and yeah, um, just making it's a way to be creative, yes. right? And yeah, think a different about, kind of creativity, yeah, exactly, which is really important to keep going and, and doing all this stuff. So, um, what do you think? We, we're, we're also asking uh, people if you were starting over and going into genetics now, is there an area that you are really excited about that maybe you're not doing now, but that you would really look into as a trainee? Oh boy! I know. Uh, yeah, this out of left field. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's still so much to do um, in this field, but I think what uh, is really interesting me right now is um, that some of these discoveries that were made 20, 30 years ago um, to understand what is the underlying genetic basis of this disease, we're starting to really be able to impact therapies. Um, and trying to understand when do these therapies work and uh, what's effective and some of the gene therapy that's coming out. I think it's um, really amazing how far the field has come in that time frame. 
Yeah, that's stuff that when we were in high school and college, maybe we were just hearing about the possibility of gene therapy. Yes. Now it's actually, I never would have yeah. believed this was going to happen this yeah. fast. Yeah. It's like the Gen <laughs> X, right? Yes. <laughs> that's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. So that's people, you're interested in seeing where we can go in the future, it sounds yes. like, and, and, and making sure that we, uh, are there any other classes that you would recommend that? trainees get training i know you suggested statistics and that's absolutely why it's not yeah exactly that's what i tell my child all the time statistics or computation learn yes. like so, yeah. yeah i think the thing i really overlooked in my training was writing and how much time we spend as scientists communicating um as an editor i'm totally in favor of this yes <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely a skill that i developed later in my career um i really appreciate the patience of uh, my phd mentor ellen weissman who really taught me a lot about writing yeah. <laughs> um and the editors that i work with now and um, that's just something that um i didn't enjoy and so learning how to get yourself started um, That's the hardest, the part, hardest part. Right? part. Yeah, just put some words down. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And was there, did you take any class or can you recommend any books or, or methods that really helped you on your writing journey other than mentors who were amazing? Like yeah. Um, I'm not sure I can recommend books, but I think just in terms of getting started, like just get something on the paper and then once you have something down, then you can think about the organization second or the particular words that you're using. Um, don't let those things become barriers to you to just getting started. And the other trick I was taught at the very beginning was just make yourself sit down for 10 minutes. And if you are done... And you, Twitter free minutes. That's right, saying. yes. <laughs> that's kind of hard. Okay. And, if, and if, after 10 minutes, if you still don't want to do it, then, you know, fine, get up and walk away. But oftentimes you'll find um, that you can keep going. Yeah, yeah. get started. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that. also something that helped me was... Um, I was reluctant to ask people for copies of their grants or early manuscripts because yes. I didn't think they'd want to share, but people are usually like, yeah, that's sure, right? Yes. Yeah, that's fine. So I think yeah. that has helped me a lot is asking people if you could see theirs, right. and, and especially the ones that failed, right, and, and have an idea of that. Yeah, and I think um, in terms of grant writing in particular, having people read your proposal who are not directly related to your work because... The reality is the people on study section probably don't do exactly what you right. do either. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. having that eye of someone with a little bit of a broader perspective, um, they can help you understand where they're getting lost and um, where you're not being unclear because you're so deep in this topic that you can't even recognize um, what others don't understand. Right. Everybody knows that. Right? Yes. Everybody knows this thing, right? Exactly. Yes. Do you have a go-to grant writing playlist? Do you have any recommendations for songs for people for grant writing? <laughs> I am not one who can have that kind of distraction. Uh, it's silence. It's, it's silence. silence, yes. Silence. <laughs> that's, that's a little tip there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've downloaded some ambient music that sometimes helps or all that kind of stuff. So so one last question I wanted to ask you about is you just started a large study for um, engaging 150 to 200,000 people in yes. uh, participating in a cancer research study. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit 
more about that and that's such a huge challenge. Yeah, so this is obviously a collaboration with lots of different groups across the country and um, it's funded by MCI. And um, it's really trying to think about early detection of cancer. So we want to identify individuals before they have developed cancer, and then we're going to be collecting samples and data and information about them over 10 years. Um, and some of them will develop cancer over that time frame, and so we'll have this amazing collection of information um, before they develop cancer at various time points. And then also after they develop cancer, we'll have access to the tissue samples as well as the medical record information that happens to them. Uh, NCI, of course, wants to be very collaborative with this cohort and make this a resource for the scientific community. Um, and I think the biggest challenge for me um, as a scientist around this, is going to be thinking about retention and how do you keep study participants engaged over 10 years um, or maybe even longer, who right. knows? Yeah, um, yeah that's going to be um, something a little bit new compared to some of my past research that I'm really excited about. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. How do you keep people engaged? <laughs> <laughs> that that's a huge challenge that yes. we're dealing with because we move and then you move around. I mean, obviously, it's their health, so they're interested in that. But that's yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows someone who's had cancer. And I think really trying to understand this is an investment for the future um, and really going to help people understand the causes of cancer mm -hmm. and how to detect it early, those sorts of things, hopefully will be motivating. And that's great because that's also part of what you wanted to get into science to do, right? Is to exactly. these questions. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Katrina Goddard, for joining us. Thank you for having me. This has been Genetically Speaking. Join us next time for new conversations and check out our online library for more valuable content. <laughs>